Now, what more can we ask for on the second Sunday in September than to have a speaker like we have coming back for the second week? Paul, welcome back. <laughs> okay, uh, let, let's see. The, can you hear me? Is that okay? All right. Well, the disclaimer. This not an ordinary Sunday school lesson, according to me, or as I see it. This is a Sunday school lesson that, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, a guy's a preacher, you can talk about the preacher working on his sermon. David Siemens, who was a pastor at, uh, in Wilmore, Kentucky, when Sarah and I were there at Asbury College, would list his sermons out on the, on a piece of paper on the hymnal for 13 weeks, morning and night. And I asked him about it, and he said, you needed time for the sermon to work on the preacher. <laughs> so when uh, the idea was broadcast at the early part of the year, you know, to enlist as many of us as to read through the Old Testament, through, through the Bible in a year, I uh, brought myself into submission and started doing it. And what, what, what uh, I experienced was a wonderful joy in rereading old familiar scriptures. Is that, that's, that's typical of the Bible, isn't it? It's new. God's word is new, afresh, every morning and every time you read it and meaningful to me. And I think that uh, a part of that whole thing was looking again at God's heroes in the scripture um, and looking at the fact that scripture does not make any attempt to sanitize God's heroes. They are laid right out there in the bright sunlight to have a look at all their strengths and all their warts. And nobody is filleted quite like David. Yet, when you get to the New Testament, this is a little teeny bit of a review for those of you who are lucky enough not to have to be here last week. When you look at the the old, the, the New Testament heroes of Paul, and in particular, you go, go, go over to Romans. He's got two, and it's Abraham, and it's David. Now, all of the Jews, of course, can consider themselves the seed or the, or the descendants of Abraham. So everybody's Abraham's seed. We're the, we're the followers. We're the descendants of Abraham. And if you're Jewish, you're, you know, you got your claim to Abraham as your man. But not necessarily to David. Although in Matthew, the first chapter, Joseph, Mary's husband, David's father, natural father in this world, uh, is considered uh, a descendant of David. It's interesting how many times, I think it's 14 times, that uh, Jesus Christ himself is referred to as son of David. Blind Bartimaeus. Oh, thou son of David. You know, there, there's a woman that, that comes. Uh, Jesus does a wonderful little thing on this idea of son of David with the Pharisees, who, of course, always on his case. They said, uh, whose son is the, the Christ? They said, David's son. He said, well, then, how come David calls him his Lord? He can be David's son and David's Lord, and they didn't have a word to say. So, Jesus is called the son of David. Uh, David, according to Paul, in a, in a sermon in the 13th chapter of Acts, calls him, 
a man after God's, this is an older, older version, God's own heart. I like the own. Man after God's own heart. And the, the lesson, and what I'm trying to share with you is the blessing and the lesson that, that I got out of studying David again. Now last week we talked more about David and his youth. David is a young man, all American kid. Good looking. I mean, you, you could wish he were your grandkid. If he was your grandkid or my grandkid, we'd be, we'd be proud as all get out. The, the boy's, uh, rock solid. He spent a bunch of time out in the, in the country. He knows how to use a sling. He knows how to use a spear. He's out there defending sheep. He's killed lion, bear, and wolf. And, it, and according to him, uh, at times he had to get right up there, you know, and take hold of them. Well, it's one of my father's words. Hold notes. Take hold of them. And, uh, and when David ends up in front of that crowd, that where Goliath, the, the children of Israel, camped on one hill as a brook in the middle, and the Philistines on the other hill, and out walks Goliath every day, insulting them, uh, cursing God, uh, calling on his pagan gods. And David sees this. David is is righteously appalled. You guys are letting this go on? And he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. And the goody about David there is, you know, you know, this is no, this is no smart aleck, redneck kid facing that giant. David has confidence not in David. David's confidence is in God, exactly where it ought to be. He, he can, he can look at that giant and see the giant is nowhere as near as dangerous to him as a bear or a lion or a wolf. And David's got a slingshot, you know, not a slingshot like we got, but they're kind of sling. And the boys had plenty of time out in the, in the wilderness to practice, you know. And when he rushes toward the giant and lets go the slingshot, he's got confidence he's going to hit him. And he pops him right in the head. And the next thing you know, the giant's dead and the enemy is on the run. And David's a hero. He's a hero. That's where his troubles start. Um, an unknown kid. You know, I don't know, 16, 18? I mean, he's a kid. And when they start back toward town, uh, and the, and the story's getting out, Saul, the guy that's bigger than everybody else, the king, the first king of Israel, Saul hears the words, the girls are singing on the side of the road as they come in. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his but there's 10,000 of them ran. And Saul, the king, who was a big man, but a little man. Saul's a little man. Saul's envious. Saul's too much into Saul. And because he's so much into Saul, he takes it upon himself to offer an offering and does not have a regard for the priesthood. <clears throat> and God says, <clears throat> hey, you're out of here. And speaks to Samuel, the prophet, you go down to Jesse's house, among his boys, I have selected me a man after my own heart who will do what I want him to do. Now that, that brings a lesson back to me. Brings a lesson back. How much are we people after God's heart? That's the lesson. That's the whole, that's the whole shebang. David, a man who loved God and his primary purpose is to do what 
God wants him to do. And he does it. He goes in and uh, pretty soon they find out that he is a musician and he's in there uh, giving, doing music to soothe uh, Saul, the disgruntled and unhappy and, and really from a spiritual standpoint, disgraced king who throws his own spear at David in the very room where David is, uh, I guess, playing playing a guitar. So, And David uh, jumps to the side. David is not man. David becomes Saul's enemy because Saul makes him his enemy. David never makes Saul his enemy. Saul is the Lord's anointed. David's respectful of it. David is terribly upset later on, a few years later on, when Saul and his son Jonathan and another son are killed in battle, David mourns. David has a respect for what God's doing and God's plans. And, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good piece of wisdom, isn't it? A real respect that if I don't understand it, uh, the problem is probably mine, not God's. And David is wise enough to have a tremendous respect for God. And he loves God's law. Go read the Psalms. He loves God's law. He's, he's, he's warm. He's close to God. And he's an all-American kid. Saul brings him into the, uh, uh, to his own house. Saul's beautiful daughter falls in love with him. Um, she's given, uh, to, to David ultimately. And David becomes the real leader of Saul's army, and is extraordinarily successful. He's a good fighter. He's a good strategist. He's just good at it. The boy is athletically and, and, and spiritually and intellectually gifted. Okay? And that goes along very difficultly for Saul. Pretty soon it's obvious that Saul is going to kill him. He cannot stand the fact of having uh, David alive and in his presence. David takes off on the run. David was anointed by Samuel. It's seven and a half years till he becomes anointed as king. Proclaimed king. He spent a good period of that time running and hiding with a gang of, of other debtors and nobodies, kind of a ragtag army, probably about like the one that George Washington had in Valley Forge over winter. You know, that kind of just ter- miserable folks. And they are out there and protect David all that period of time. Okay, now, that's David, that's David up in his youth. And when you want to start going beyond that, then you go, takes David seven and a half years until Saul is, is, is killed. He mourns Saul. He mourns his, Saul's son, David. He promises to take care of Saul's family. He's not going to come in behind Saul and kill all of his people so none of them can have an uprising. Although Saul's general does take a lead an uprising of one of Saul's uh, sons and makes him king over the northern kingdom after David is, is king in Judah. And it's seven years until David is king over the whole thing. But, um, but David is... Kind and loving, there's a, one of Saul's sons has a crippled child. David said, look, I'm going to take you like you're my child. You're going to eat at my supper table. You're going to live in the king's house. David, David is not a man in, in that sense of taking revenge. In another class in this church recently, 
a Sunday school lesson was given on the 23rd Psalm. And uh, after that lesson was over, a, a person in that class had some strong words for the teacher about all the good things he had to say about David, and the issue was the elephant in David's living room. Y'all familiar with that kind of language? That's AA talk. <laughs> when when somebody's drinking and ain't nobody talking about it, you might as well have an elephant in your living room and nobody sees the elephant. Okay? It's it's a it's a symbol of denial. The elephant in David's living room and the problem that we have with figuring David out all centers around a woman. <laughs> now you move to David's mature life. Let's talk a little bit about being mature. <laughs> when you start getting into the mature years, it offers the opportunity to be wiser, does it not? More experience, things you know, experiences you've been through, what you've learned, better judgment. When you're moving on to your more mature years, might it mean that you could get complacent? Come on, give me a little help. That's older than we Yeah. Right, let's say, let's say, let's say 40 plus. You know, all, all the men know. No man has ever got a shot at being grown up till he's at least 40. And I think for me, it took to at least 50. Women grow up by 20, you know. Um, we expect, though, that even if we're not more wise when we get more mature, we think we are. All right? We think we are. And it is easy to sink into a complacency or a comfortableness or how about just getting used to doing more, having more, being more, a little further up in the cut, when you got, got a little more power, remember, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, David had absolute power, David's king, why is David, why is a man after God's own heart so stupid to do the dumb things he did uh, with Bathsheba, why didn't he have more gumption than that? It's a good question, is it not? And God lays it right out there. Oh, poor old David is stripped bare naked for all of us to look at. And David messed it up about as good as you can mess it up. Does he not? A happen chance. Maybe David was older. Maybe they did not need David to go out there and fight for them on that particular spring. And he is walking around smoking a cigar on the top of his castle or, you know, or drinking another glass of wine, and he sees Bathsheba, and he goes crazy. Okay? He he is entitled. There you go. That's the word I was trying to think of. Entitled. I see prisoners that are entitled. They're entitled. They're they're indignant. They're, I mean, these guys are locked up. And they're, they're more interested in, in, in telling me what their rights are than they are trying to get around what the real subject is, is is what it is that's going on with them. It's got them in such a mess. When we get entitled, we expect to that we ought to have what we want. I want it. I'm mature. I got the money. I got the whatever. Whatever it is you got to have, or I got to have, to declare it, we consider 
that in our wisdom and our maturity, that it's okay to have. You think so? Any of y'all like that, or am I the only one? <laughs> <laughs> and David undoubtedly felt entitled. He had a couple of wives, and, he, and as we know, Bathsheba ends up his wife after David gets her husband killed, and the baby that's born dies. Guess we do we know who Bathsheba's second baby Solomon. was? Solomon. Solomon. I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> the way God does business is not the way we business. Peter says in Second Peter, the Lord is merciful and doesn't want anybody to be lost. And that's what he's doing in this day, these days that we live in, in the gospel. He is prolonging the, the bringing history to its climax. Because God is merciful and doesn't want anybody to be lost. And maybe another piece of lesson right here is that all of us are continuing to be loved by God. He has invested himself in us. He has claimed us as his own. He is not going to give up on us. Our lives may be, we, we ought to be lifelong learners. Would that be true? We ought to be more humble as we get older and not less. We ought to be more given to God and God's will instead of less. You got any, uh, you got any little parts of your own life and devotion and things that you've been thinking about that might be a calling from God here in later years? And God's calling us to trust Him and step out and do something we haven't even previously done. Uh, something we might have not seen before. This thing called denial is this. It's, an, it's another real good term out of the, out of the addiction business, which is part of what what I do. Denial. A young girl sort of D E N I A L. Don't even know I am lying. There's old David. David that ain't your wife. You, she she'll belong to you. You have no right to be doing anything with her. Right. That's just the way it is. That's right. But it isn't what David did. It isn't what a lot of folks do. And us human beings, at a time when we ought to be wise, we sometimes can be... Yes. (laughs) Blind. We can see very clearly. Can we not pick each other apart with expertise? We know every little idiosyncrasy about our friends. And, and here's the truth. And they know ours. <laughs> and they know ours, but they're kind enough not to tell us about it usually. <laughs> but we are experts at dismissing our own prejudices, our own lack of understanding, our own what we want, what we don't want, what we think we ought to have. I'm going to tell you all a, a little story on me. I like cars. I always did like cars. I like fast cars. Uh, like cars. Jerry likes cars. This is not about Jerry. When, when the 240Z Datsuns came out, I was still in medical school. I had to have one. I bought one, had a bunch of fun doing parking lot Grand Prix uh, races with it and all that kind of stuff. And bought me a used Porsche back in uh, 79. And none of those cars bothered me. Okay? They were okay cars to have. They sat right in my, it's okay for me to have that. 
Can you see how David can say that about Bathsheba? I say it about a car. David says it about Bathsheba. In, uh, in about 1987 or 88, y'all remember the gray market on cars? Where cars were coming in for Europe? And I had an opportunity to buy me a red Porsche 911 Targa with a whale tail. <laughs> now here's the problem with that. Your wife over there. <laughs> Alright, now I'm going to tell you what. I'm talking now about what I want and what all, where all of us go through as we mature and become <clears throat> at a place how easy it is to say, I'd like to have that. About anything, okay? And I asked my wife and my good friend Tap Hanson if they thought it was too much for me to buy a red Porsche with a whale tail. And you know what both of them told me? You work hard. You work hard. You work hard. Had it. I want to tell you, I've got a, I've got a fast car sitting in the garage at home now, but it's gray or silver, and it, and it doesn't attract any attention. That I might as well have gotten a badge to wear that says, Beecham thinks he's somebody riding that red Porsche around. <laughs> I, I have never had anything that I ever had in my life that I became aware of that other people saw it differently than I did, and it had a negative connotation to it. And, and I'm going to tell you, I really didn't like it. I got rid of the car pretty, pretty reasonably soon. I didn't like what that car said to other people as what they thought about me. I didn't like it. I, th I could feel it. I could feel it. But again, where's my water? There it is. Uh, it's tough for us to see ourselves, is it not? Yes, it's tough to see ourselves. Are we willing to give David any of that kind of room? Here's the problem. You bring old David up in, in court, you put all of us on the jury, the boys going down. Right? In, 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 in just good, hard judgment. You bring David into prison, and I'm going to be evaluating him. We're going to say he, he got what he deserved. Okay? So now here's my question to you. What's the matter with God? Can't God see what the man did? God going to go soft on David now in his old age? David, you my boy, you can get away. You don't have to play by the rules. That's the Booger Bear in David and Bathsheba story, is it not? That's the Booger Bear in this whole story about David. A man after God's own heart can do something that stupid? Yes. But what about all the other? I'm reading saying they'll go along, and every time they move, every time they fight, the guy's got his wives, his concubines. Mm -hmm. it, this is all one Man, living with one woman bad enough, ain't <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. it? Excuse me, I said that. <laughs> Sons, uh, gets a thing for his half sister. Yeah. One of David's sons 
uh, forms a real rebellion. He, he puts himself out as the man to see, if you want to see the king, you, you, you come see me first, uh, Absalom. And he leads a full-scale rebellion against his, his, his father. Um, from the way we would look at it, we would see it differently than God sees it. We would see it differently than God sees it. Remember, there's a scripture that says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus says, you say you haven't ever committed adultery. Have you ever looked at a woman with a in your eye? Yeah, he said, you've committed, you have the, you've done the potential, you've done the spiritual aspects of that by warning somebody that's not yours in your mind. We understand that, you know. So the Lord, the Lord cuts really, really close, but when God takes you and me on as his children, we're his children. We're not his servants. We're not his slave. We're not somebody who works in his house. God has children, and some people say he doesn't have any grandchildren. <laughs> when we are God's children, remember the, the, the first, it's Ephesians, I think, 1.13, and he has given us the, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our redemption. How are we doing on time? Are we okay on time <coughs> so far? So God, when God comes in, and I talked about it a little bit last week. He comes to stay. And when I was when I was young, I, I was really afraid that, that God God's going to have enough of me, you know. And and it, and it took me till I was till I was grown to realize that God wasn't itching to to get rid of me because of of my difficulties in being the kind of Christian I thought I ought to be. And of course, when He takes us on, we believe as Christians He signs us on. As a lifetime project, this part. We go with that, and we when we when we close here in a few minutes, somebody keep somebody try to keep good time. Uh, we'll read something. So here is David now going into his mature years. He's confronted. He he is reasonably blind. He's blinded himself to what he has done out of his on on greed. His sense of entitlement and lust. And he's picked him up yet another wife. Uh, and, and there's no way to go through, there's no way to go through the scriptures and sanitize that story, is there? Y'all know of a nice way to sanitize it? So we have to leave David to the, to the mercy of God. And we have to understand that God has mercy on people that we wouldn't have mercy on. And we'll read about that in a minute. But I want to go back and look at the rest of, of some looking at things that David did as a king and in his mature parts, aside from the debacle with, with Bathsheba. David was genuinely a nation builder. Israel was coming in there as a group of poorly governed tribes. Saul is the first king. They, David gets them together and really builds a nation. David uh, God has said to David, you have been a man of blood. I'm not going to allow you to build the house. So David went off in Pilate. David spent his life collecting everything Solomon needed to build the temple. And when Solomon got old enough to become king, David had gold and timber and craftsmen 
and he accepts God's judgment on him. Uh, you know, part of what's going to cost you, David, you're not, you're not going to build, you're not going to build the temple for me. I'll let your son build it. The son of Bathsheba. Exactly. That's, that's what sanitizes. I mean, just like of arguing. Well, but uh, isn't it surprising though that it's Bathsheba's son and not, not his, say, his first wife's son? That's the first legitimate wife before the king decides about. he needs more wives. Actually, David's very first wife was, was Saul's daughter, Michael, who despised David for being down in nothing but his undershorts, dancing around in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And, um, and she never had any children. David um, had a tremendous respect for Saul. David did not kill Saul. David was not happy even to see Saul killed, even though Saul was his enemy. David was able, as a maturing man, over seven years after he's been anointed, to wait on God's timing. David, there's one place where David is running and is in the woods, uh, hiding from Saul, and it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord as God. David's praying while he's running. David had two chances to kill Saul. Saul comes into a cave. It's dark. David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave. Saul went in there for a little private visit. And while he was in there, he cuts a little piece of his, sneaks up and, and cuts a piece off of his robe where he, he's left. And then calls and tells Saul, well, we'll just let you know, Saul, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to kill you. And on another occasion, uh, all of Saul and his men are asleep, and it says the Lord called them, caused them to have pretty deep sleep. And he came in there and took his spear. And Saul knew that David was was a, a man who who was more honorable than he did. He, he spared Saul. He spared Saul's descendants. He was the devoted friend of Saul's uh, son, Jonathan. Uh, he mourned for Saul. And, and Saul's family. He cared about him. When Nathan the prophet came around to David, who had blinded himself so he couldn't see, and tells him that lovely little story, Nathan came in and said, look, there's a problem going on. There's a man in your kingdom who had a little sheep, and this sheep was the dear, dearest, dear to him. And another man who was rich and had a bunch of sheep came over and took this, and David said, why? See, David can see it in other people, right? Why, that's... Tell me who that guy is, and I'll fix his wagon. And Nathan says, Thou art the man. And we get Psalm we get Psalm 51. Out of David's youth, we get Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's pastoral, right? Out of David's failure, we get Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 will teach all of us how to pray. We'll get there in a minute. David had trouble out of his son who turned against him. Now, just because we got sons and daughters don't mean that everything they do and every place that their life goes and turns is going to work out the way we wanted it or work out right. And many people have had a situation where they got a son or a daughter, they don't speak to them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? David had trouble with his kids too. He had a bunch of them. And he was merciful to his son Absalom who stole, if you will, the hearts of enough of the leadership of Jerusalem to, to get away with a significant rebellion. And David's out running again to stay away from Absalom. Okay, I, that, that's enough. Y'all have heard enough out of me. Uh, there's a big story, there's a big lesson in 
in God showing us this much about David, isn't it? God says, he says that his choosings of us is, is without repentance. Meaning, when, when God makes you or me his child, he's not going to change his mind. And I'm not going to talk about the theology of that. We can get, all get into that some other time. But that's just the way God is. Now, I think Psalm 51 can tell us that David is a man after God's own heart, in spite of his screwing up, all that he did. If he wasn't a man after God's own heart, you tell me how he could have written Psalm 51. It'd be difficult to write Psalm 51 if you weren't after God's heart. And I'm going to read it, and we're going to quit, and you'll be out early. <laughs> Psalm 51, and I'm reading it to you out of the Living Bible version. It's nice to hear, hear sometimes just a little different. O loving and kind God, have mercy, have pity upon me. Take away the awful stain. <laughs> See if I can do this. Stain of my transgression. O wash me, cleanse me from this guilt. Let me be pure again. For I admit my shameful deed. It haunts me day and night. It's against you and you alone that I've sinned and did this terrible thing. You saw it all and your sentence against me is just. But I was born a sinner. A little pleading here. I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. We know about that. We call that original sin. We all born sinners. You deserve honesty from the heart. Yes, utter sincerity and truthfulness. Oh, give me this wisdom. Sprinkle me with the cleansing blood, and I shall be clean again. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And after you have punished me, give me back my joy again. Don't keep looking at my sins. Erase them from your sight. Create in me a new clean heart. O God, a new heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. Don't toss me aside, banished forever from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I'll teach your ways to other sinners and they, guilty like me, will repent and return to you. Don't sentence me to death. Oh my God, you alone can rescue me. I'll sing of your forgiveness, for my lips will be unsealed. Oh, how I'll praise you. That sounds like a man wanting to get himself right with God, doesn't That sounds like a man who, once he got his thinking back straight, he repented. I don't think there's anything that distinguishes us as Christians anymore than that willingness to stay humble before God and have repentant, open hearts looking at our shortcomings and trusting in the mercy of God and asking God for His mercy and for His forgiveness. The willingness to keep coming back to God on a daily basis with our needs and our, and our, and our shortcomings is what will cause us to live a life that's truly Christian. It's not the matter of achieving some sort of action. And we know that, don't we? Isn't it good to review that around in, in somebody as plainly as we can review, review it uh, in the Bible 
when we're talking about David. We'll pray and, 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 and go on. Our Father, your goodness is absolutely overwhelming. We, we know we don't deserve it. And we know there's nothing we can do to gain something more from you. You are loving and kind and, and, and you are the God of our salvation. And we praise you for your grace, for your hunting us down and finding us and bringing us to yourself. And we thank you for the, for your scripture, for the word of God that teaches us who you are. Now go with us from this place. Encourage us. Open our eyes. Expand our ministry. Make us in our later years the best equipped and most willing servants that we have ever been of yours. <laughs> bless this class and bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much, Paul. Very much. Looking at our scripture that I read a while ago, it says, Anyone who serves me, the Father will honor him. My thought for the week leaving here today is to follow this uh, little uh, thought. It says, Great opportunities to help others seldom come, but small ones surround us every day. So let's all serve our Lord and go on. Have a good week.